0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We don't have an intro for Season 7 yet, but we are telling... Theater Theater Stories! stories. I know. Yet another week has passed where we have forgotten to do a catchy rhyming intro. Um, We've got a lot of things going on. Sorry. Um,
1: Season 7, Theater Heaven.
0: I mean... Theater 7.
2: Theater Season
1: Heaven.
0: Wow. We've got it all together here, folks. Um, there's there's a Pinterest board. We're working on it. Um, so today is a very special episode. Uh, we are talking to a legend in the theater world. Uh, this gentleman is perhaps one of our most esteemed and storied uh, career guests that we've ever had the privilege of talking to. It is the uh, one, the only Michael, Michael Kahn, Kahn. Um, former artistic director of the Shakespeare Theatre, uh, head of the drama department at Juilliard, Juilliard. Um, Tony Award nominee uh, for on Broadway for *Showboat*, so many things besides that. Um, we are going to talk to him and get all into it. I just want to briefly shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for continuing your support of us. We really appreciate it um there's a link in the podcast notes if you want to become a patreon subscriber supporter whatever you call it these days um we're gonna take a quick break and we will be
2: right back
0: um well welcome michael thank you so much for joining us um you i can't even do a proper introduction you have more awards and and qualifications than probably anybody we've ever talked to. Um, And you've spent your life in the theater on many different uh, boards, many different theaters, um, different places. And I'm sure you have a million and one incredible theater stories. Every actor, every director's got them. But we thought um, of all the people we could talk to, you would be one of the quintessential people Of experience and and story that that we could just say what what are some of your favorite stories? They don't have to be funny; they can be just just poignant things that stick out. Some things that uh, that that
3: stick in the craw, as it were. I think I, I, I they'll I'll remember them as I say them. I mean, how long do you want me to? How many stories do you want?
2: Uh, we're here. We're here. You're somewhere. here.
3: Okay. Well, let me see. I can start, uh, well, let me see, a long time, I can start, I'll tell a couple of stories when I was at Stratford, which was in Connecticut, you know, and uh, on the dress rehearsal of a production of Macbeth, which uh, Doug, uh, which the set was um, uh, aluminum sort of, it it was very fast for those days to have a big rake it's a big aluminum rake, mm-hmm. and Jane Greenwood who was a wonderful designer. I ended up working with a lot. Had designed uh, some Jacobean costumes. They were all black velvet, and they were all cut in sort of sort of cut velvet like tartans. And the idea for I had this idea that it would begin in a sort of uh, church service, with Duncan being the sort of religious uh, leader, and they were all going off to war and people would be leaving. And on the stage would be three well-dressed Jacobean women uh, who would then say, when shall we three meet again? And, and uh, so I thought that was great, you know. So anyway, we had our first dress rehearsal and it was, there was a live orchestra in those days in Shafford. And the lights went down, the music time, the lights went down. We were all feeling very good. And all of a sudden I heard screaming from the stage and the lights went up and all the cast in their black velvet were falling, sliding to the orchestra pit. It was all slippery. So we stopped of course. (laughs) And the way we solved it was pouring Coca-Cola all over the aluminum. That solved that
0: problem. First of all, we just want to interject here the image of the actors sliding down the aluminum. <laughs> Didn't we all have an issue with the rake stage for Jesus Christ Superstar? I mean, rakes are constantly an issue. Right?
2: Well, you know what? He reminded me in that story that that there was some sort of soda put on one of our sets at college. Oh, it wasn't cocaine; it was Coca-Cola. Oh, that makes more sense now. Yeah, it was Coca-Cola. There was once there was one, <laughs> one rake uh, set where I think they did that.
0: Interesting. Oh, I've heard Coca-Cola being used. Uh, many a time especially in tap shows that that's a big thing
1: just for the the gripping then and it, so you don't get sticky on your ass right, yeah. yeah
0: all right time time that's to pop hilarious. in to another story hold
3: well there was a, a very well-known actress who uh i've worked with a lot but she had a really serious serious drinking problem I and mean, she was she was drunk a lot of the time. Eventually, she gave these magnificent performances, but she was drunk. I mean, she came, she came to a rehearsal of a production I did, uh, and she was very drunk at that rehearsal the first day and I sent her home and I said, Don't come back uh, until A, you've slept this off and B aren't drunk. Come tomorrow uh, and be ready to work. And she did come to March. she never did learn the lines all the way through so the other actors had to figure out where their cue was. But she was amazing and she played, it was Long Day Journey, she played the mother and she knew everything about addiction and she came, played it all from herself and it was quite extraordinary. But anyway, we were doing this production of Three Sisters and and, uh, she was playing a really big part. And there was another actor Actress in the production who uh, was a good friend of hers, and uh, she was playing a very small part of a maid, and uh, she she drank a lot too. Oh, there goes the dog! So uh, she drank a lot too. So, but in this this performance, the, the really good actress was so I. I had no idea what she was doing in the last scene. I was so angry because there were all the three sisters standing there, like wanting to go to Moscow, and I don't know where the hell she thought she was going, but it sure <laughs> wasn't to Moscow. So I was really furious. So I, I got up, went down to her dressing room, banged on the door, ready to just tell her to step. Bang on the door, and she opened the door. Said, "Come in, come in." She closed the door. And said. What are we going to do about Mary's drinking problem? (laughs) That was the end of that. That, I I said, if you just put the bottle of vodka away for both, it'll be better, but I didn't. Anyway, (laughs) that was that.
1: Uh, Hey, guys. What's what's going on? How are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am no one to disparage drinking, except when it comes to
2: at work. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to say that every time I'm drinking, I'm going to find a friend. I'm going to say, what are we going to do about Mary's drinking problem? <laughs> <laughs> we might say it tonight. Well, what's um,
1: what's amazing is that the way that he, like, as a director, was able to say this thing and not, you know, offend or or make her mad, and she came back probably and you know did the show.
0: P.S. This is Ryan, our producer. We didn't
2: get
1: to acknowledge
2: him before. Oh, you guys know my voice. Or is, you, yes, one
1: person listening knows my voice. Yes.
2: Okay, I'm just gonna bring this up and it's gonna be a brief conversation. Yeah. One in the woods. Oh, yeah. At Toby's. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know that. It to- wasn't
0: at Toby's, it was next to Toby's. Yeah, next and to Toby's. Merryweather Post. Merryweather
2: festival. festival. Did you ever go? I never went. Oh, did you ever go? I was there on the fateful day you're about to tell. So I remember this, I think, was during Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. coat. Yep. Or at that night, drunk coat. Yeah. And literally everyone went to wine in the woods. It was a big festival, you know. Oh, we'll get something to eat. A tasting. We're just gonna we're just gonna taste wine. Tasting. It's safe. And literally everyone came back and was drunk. Wasted. And there was something for me personally, Joseph. Joseph, Yeah. There was something for me performing that I never really enjoyed that kind of feeling. When I drink, it really is sort of like, like I have to be letting everything kind of go. What's amazing
1: (sighs) is this person, whoever she was, was a legend the way he described her, like, she was still able to do a performance without really knowing the lines, that was probably just, and what is that about artists? Where there's some kind of like, I don't wanna say addiction, but like, you know, some kind of substance being used and yet, are still able to reach this level of something. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's just some kind of emotional recall that's always there beneath the surface that you can access, right? Eventually, but anyway, wine in the woods.
2: I was just going to mention that I, you know, talking about maybe Mary needing to stop drinking. That uh, that day, we all went to wine in the woods. Not everybody, but some people did go, and I won't throw anyone under the bus. A lot of people are saying. A lot of people were saying we were drunk. <laughs> um, and we weren't drunk to the point where we couldn't perform. But this we is were like
0: 23
2: years ago. Yeah, we were yeah. like, oh God, we just had some wine and now we gotta do a show.
1: Well, can you imagine, like, in Europe? Because, like, mm. in Europe or especially like Britain, like, drinking is like, you know, my mom used to live in Wales and they would go to lunch and everybody would have a drink mm-hmm. and then they'd go back to work. Yeah, a drink. A drink, yeah. But it's probably the exact same thing when it comes to theater, wouldn't you think? Well, yes. Well, I will say there's probably
0: a big difference between having some wine tastings and doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor <laughs> Dreamcoat versus a long day's journey yeah, into the not, night. Right, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you could probably get away with a lot more. All right, we're going to get back to the
3: stories. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember things that happened at the at the Shakespeare Theater.
2: Uh, Michael, that reminds me of uh, the Arnie Theater. Actually, you might know this. At Arnie, they built an actual home for Tallulah Bankhead. Um, Because when she would come to Summerstock, she was so out of control that the other actors couldn't sleep. They could not learn their lines. And so they built her an actual home to stay in by herself every summer that she would come and perform. Really? (laughs) Well, there's so many stories about Tallulah
3: Bankhead. I've never worked with her. I, I, I almost did when I was a kid. I had an internship to be on on a show that she did called Crazy October that never came into New York. And I, for some reason, didn't do it. I don't know why. Uh, and I, I would have loved to. I mean, I, I, every story, when, when I went to see, when I went to get the rights for Katna Tim Rue, uh, I had to get them from Tennessee Williams, and I was this, you know, I don't know what I was in, my 30s maybe, the beginning of my 30s, the middle of my 30s, and so he was living in a hotel, and you may probably know it, uh, it was the Elize Hotel, and he called it Easy Lay, was- <laughs> <laughs> and Tula had lived in that hotel too. But um, uh, I, I not—it's not a funny story. But you may have heard this. I knocked on the door of the hotel room, and the door opened, and it was this young man named Bob, who I later found out had been as a sort of companion and taking care of him. And I don't know if they were lovers or not. And finally, Tennessee came in. And very, he was nervous and giggling. I was, of course, very nervous because I had never met anybody like Tennessee Williams and I wanted to do the play. So we sat and we talked. And then the doorbell rang and Bob got up and opened the door. And this little, little wizened old lady came in and sat down and said, Mentor, I want Mentor. And Tennessee gave her a cigarette. And as they talked, I realized that I was actually sitting with the real Tom and Laura of Glass Menagerie. Mm. And I was, that was his sister who had been let out for the day from where she was at home. And I thought, my, that was really amazing experience. I never told Tennessee that um, I had met him once before. (laughs) Uh, That was at the opening of Camino Real in Camino Real, is how you really pronounced it in that play, at the Mark Taper in uh, LA. And I had just done it in Cincinnati, the first time I did it before I did it in Washington. And uh, Taper is on a Bunch of, like an amphitheater, it's a bunch of, bunch of stairs going down. And uh, the, gu- the guy ran the tape but Gordon David said, I want you to meet Tennessee. And I said, oh. and I was very nervous. He said, but I said, I would love to meet Tennessee which I hadn't, this was way before Cat Knots and Rube. And so I went up the stairs and Tennessee came down the stairs and he was very inebriated and he just fell over me. And we both rolled down the stairs of the tape before i never told him i had met him before well <laughs> after that it. you know <laughs> right and uh what we were doing cat but we were doing cat jane greenwood which opened it in connecticut before it came to before it came to new york um jane had designed the dresses and she had designed this beautiful uh, apricot colored taffeta dress for uh, Maggie to change into out of her slip when she's going to go to the party. And um, at at the dress rehearsal, Teddy said, no, 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 that's all wrong. That's all wrong. It has to be chiffon. It has to be chiffon. So uh, Jane said, we don't have any more money. He said, I'll just buy it. I'll buy it. And so it ended up with a ship on That was very nice. But when I used to go to Venice in the summer of Venice, Italy for a while, and I had a place and
2: Tennessee came and everybody
3: that year knew that I had done this play. I mean, they didn't know me very well, but they knew I had done this play and it was a success in New York and everything. So Tennessee's arrives and, and he swims in the pool where we, where we were. And he kept saying, Hello, Milton. Hello, Milton to me. He kept calling Milton. And you knew that the people who didn't know me very well were begin to think that the story I said about Cat Notch and move was a pack of lies. And finally, he said, apparently, he said to his secretary, What is that young man's name? I forget. I know I'm not calling it right. So I finally got called Michael, and it all was well. <laughs> um, He, on opening night of Cat in New York, I had to take him out of the theater. I didn't sit through that opening night because I took Tennessee to the bar across the street. Because he would laugh at anything that seemed like a gay reference. No matter what it was. He put them in the shows all the time like it. And so, you know, anytime, and he had a laugh like a hyena. So <laughs> I, we just couldn't do that. <laughs> so he didn't get back until after the show, but there was a story when he went to see the Tumula Bankhead in, milk uh, no train doesn't stop here anymore, or maybe Hermione badly the first time. He laughed, and he laugh, and he laughed, and that laugh was like a little screech. And some woman tapped him on the back and said, "You really shouldn't be making all that noise." And he said, "Well, ma'am, I am the direct I am the playwright." He said, Well, then you should know better not the choir and <laughs> That was very sweet. Wow, that's
0: incredible theater history if you really break that down and think about Michael spending time with Tennessee Williams and sister and...
1: Uh, was it his... Was it
2: Tennessee Williams' sister? I think so. So, like, um... I had no idea that that was an autobiography about well, his life. Well,
1: <clears throat> he coined the term memory play. hmm And so, a memory play is something in which it's a narrator that you're not sure whether or not what you're hearing. It's a memory, so you're not hear- Know if it's true or if it's not
0: true. It's like the, uh... It's inconsistent narrator and, and, untrustworthy narrator Yeah, so
1: but yeah. he coined that for the glass menagerie and it's interesting that he those were people that he
2: knew and he told this story from his own memory it's yeah wild um uh, takeaways i've I, it took me I, it took me it took me so long or it took me a second to uh figure out that cat mm-hmm. was short for cat, cat on, on the roof because right? yeah. I'm not in that lane I was saying like, and then when you we were doing cat and I'm like Cats, you're doing cats too. No, no, no. I did not know that uh, Tennessee Williams that was not his name. Uh, it's Tennessee Lanier, Linair Williams. Yes, um, what's his first name? Thomas, Thomas, right? Um, can you imagine rolling down just rolling down the stairs of with the a mark taper for him? Yes, with Tennessee Williams. what I mean. a. What a... What oh my! God. But I really do want to see the when they do make the movie of his life. I do want to see who's going to play the woman that taps him on the shoulder and says, <laughs> "Can you? Can you maybe not make Pipe so much down. noise?"
1: I have a question about Tulula Bankhead that I did not realize until I just looked her up. Do, do you? What do you guys think of when you think of Tulula Bankhead? I think of B. Arthur. I
0: think of All About Eve. I think about uh, she's not in it, but she like Lifeboat.
2: Lifeboat, of course. Yes, we go to bed with Lifeboat. So I think of you... Olney.
1: Did you know that Cruella Deville in the Disney film 101 Dalmatians is based on, is her, based on not Tallulah surprised. Bankhead? Can you believe that? Much that,
0: like Ursula the Sea Witch is based off of Divine.
1: Yeah, the animator like was like, yeah, she's, she really is Cruella in life. So now that you go back and if you ever watch 101 Dalmatians, you will never not see See it that. again. Well,
0: and much like Betty Davis tells the famous story of Tulula getting very drunk at a party... After she, Tallulah played all the roles on stage that Betty did in film and Betty was at a party and Tallulah was there and she, Betty said, I never went to many parties, which I think is a lie. Um, But she said, there was Tallulah just drinking and smoking and looking at me with a glare all night. And then she came up to her and she was like, well, here we have it. And Tallulah said, I played all the parts that you played but I played them on stage, and I played them better. And Betty said, well, Tallulah, I agree with you. And then she was so pissed off that she wasn't going to have an argument that she just left. <laughs> um, we need to bring back the, the name Tallulah. That's all I'm saying. Tallulah's a great name. All right, we're going to dive back in with more stories.
3: I was living in Spanish Harlem at the time. and I, My bathtub was in the kitchen and all of that stuff. I got a call, I had done a couple of shows off-Broadway and and one for Joe Papp in the Park and two off-Broadway, so uh, I get a call from my agent saying that I they wanted me to go to a theater on Broadway and they were going to do a dress rehearsal and they wanted me to see a General Crawford who was the Producer at the time wanted me to see it, and would I just come sit in the back? And then would I wait? And then would I come and talk to her and the playwright after the show? So I did that, and it was. uh, It starred a a woman named Jean Arthur, who you may remember from movies. I don't know if you ever saw her, and she she had not appeared on Broadway in a long time she had originally been the billy dawn and in in, in uh, born yesterday and then on and she started it and they were on the road previewing before it came to new york and she quit she was just so frightened and judy holiday took over and of course won the tony and the oscar but uh, so this was a Show written by somebody who actually was, had worked in Washington at the Kennedy Center, and uh, and it, Jean Arthur had come back to play the lead, a little little uh, woman from Iowa. I guess or, so. Coming to try to see her niece, who was living in the East Village, and try to get her out of Southern Tan Nation. You know, anyway. anyway. I saw it, I didn't know what she was doing, I didn't know anything, so I said, well, you know, first of all, she could, she doesn't look right, she she's not look in right, and and anyway, they said, would you like to take it over? I said, okay, it never occurred to me, she said, we're not going to announce you or anything, I said, fine, I was, you know, still young, so I, uh, I rehearsed and I found out that I had to fire somebody because they the directly before me and had sensitivity exercises. Would you tell each other what you really think of them? She told the leading lady, the ingenue, what she really thought of her. That didn't work. And so I had to get rid of the ingenue. And anyway, I rehearsed it and the, the, the kids in it who were the hippies were real hippies in real life had never been on a stage before that they painted their dress rooms black and that candle. it, it, it was uh, an experience. <laughs> anyway, I, I went to see Jean G- Arthur at her hotel. And I said, she said, well, what can you do? I said, well, first of all, I think you're not even dressed right. I said, you're not you be wearing a little suit and a hat. A hat, she said, I've, oh, I have played that part in a foreign affair. Uh, so I, I know what to do. So she came in the next day or the day after. Uh, with a basket overhead with, you know, as the hat all. Okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> we had a reading. I fixed the double doors so she could come in through both of them for her entrance instead of one, but one didn't work. Coming in like this. Anyway, if we finally got to a run through for the, but before the preview and everybody, everybody was invited. I'd never seen half I didn't know who they were, they were all very famous. I stood in the back, I'm not, I'm not credited, I stood in the back with my, uh, those days I had a lighted clipboard, like the director is supposed to have had. I had a line of clipboard, And Cheryl Crawford, who was a famous producer, got up and she said, oh, and Jean wanted a, uh, a person to give lines, throw lines from the front row. So here's the audience of celebrities, this woman in a hat, gonna give the lines. If she goes up and Cheryl's on stage saying, we're so glad you're here, you know that we've had some issues here and we, we postponed for a while. but we've been in the hands of this brilliant young director. Everybody turned to the back. I turned off my light. You couldn't see where I was. <laughs> and, and she said, and I hope that you will love it. She sat down. Well, the curtain rose and there was this family and they were and there was a knock on the door. Jean comes in, enormous, enormous applause. She's back, you know, hasn't been here in years. She's back. She gets a laugh. Show goes on laugh after laugh after laugh after laugh. laugh. It's all over, a lot of applause. They're all milling around the front. And I look up and then I meet what's Diane Cannon, who I never met in my life or since. And she said, oh, you must be the, d- the new director. I said, yes. I said, I am. I said, I, uh, my name's not up there. But she said, don't put it up yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> the next night, which is the first preview, curtain goes, no, no, no curtain talk from Cheryl Crawford, just goes up. Knock, knock, knock. She comes in, battering of applause. No laughs, no more laughs, no more laughs. All of a sudden, Jean is going to, come in now to the rest of the cast. Come in now, come in now, jump to the end of the scene. Come on in, come on in. Then she went to the next scene. It was, I had to go out and away. I, I come back with this debacle, it's over. And Cheryl Crawford standing here saying, Michael, Jean doesn't want to play tonight. Oh, no. I said, yes, I can imagine. She said, but she has to or tomorrow night. Tomorrow. Mm. We have previews. We have to sell previews. I said, well, I, she, she said she's tired. She said, I'll take care of it. You just get her to come tomorrow. So I went and saw her. Said she said I I I can't come and rehearse. And I said you have to come tomorrow night. You have to come. Anyway, she came. Cheryl got that doctor who gave shots to everybody, which I sort of guess was Doctor Doctor Max. And anyway, so she comes the next night. Oh no, I'm sorry. The next night I jumped the story. The next night is the night that. Oh, so I went and called the actors together in the afternoon. I said, now look, you know that the leader, usually the star of his show, usually the star of the show is the leader of the company. But in this case, we know we have a very sensitive, very insecure artist who is wonderful. You have to lead her. So they said, oh yes, yes. So I get back to the theater before curtain and Jean's in her dressing room. And the and backstage, the, the cast of the hippies are going, We love Jean, we love Jean, we love Jean. <laughs> Jean comes out and that's the night. She's she she screwed everything up and said, All oh, come out. And, it, and that was the night. The audience was not only did they not laugh, they just had no idea. So when it was all over, Jean left, said goodbye to the cast, and left. And Terrell said, she doesn't want to come tomorrow. I said, you got to here tonight. Said, That's it. So we never saw her again, and she never oh. did it. That was it, and she never did appear. And that show never played after that night. She mm-hmm. said, well, well, find somebody else. Said, okay. That was my first time doing some. Some show, not on off-Broadway. So, that was that. We love
0: Gene. We love love Gene. We love (laughs) Gene. I can't believe that they hired hippies who had never been on stage. The hippies painted their dressing rooms black. It must have been quite the scene. (laughs) The green room was black. No, I'm kidding. I can't imagine. And poor Gene probably padded that First preview with friends, and then Diane Cannon having the uh, foresight to say, "Maybe don't put your name up yet." That's pretty
2: incredible. I think it's also just a little testimony. Like the audiences see stars and celebrities in a certain window of their performances, but no one really gets to see all of that backstage anxiety or well, fear, the, the or... delicateness
0: of the reputation that is built up yeah. over so many years. It, it gets to be so um the more famous you get the more nerve-wracking it is to even make an appearance because you're afraid you're not going to live up to yourself and
2: you have to
1: maintain that
0: yeah yeah and it gets harder as you get older
1: i just have one thing he had mentioned that he lived in spanish harlem yeah and his bathtub was in his kitchen yeah could you imagine that you would save so much time
2: <laughs> right yeah, you could you could shower and ramen and make soup, make yeah. soup. You could have eggs.
0: Bathtub gin? Bathtub? Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be great. All right, here's another story. You've talked about these shows that have closed, flopped, whatever. Can you tell us anything about Showboat? Uh, Showboat.
3: I can. Yes, I can.
0: You were nominated for a Tony for direction for the
3: 1983 revival. I Show was, Boat. I was. That was the that and, and, and yes. Um it was very nice to be nominated. It was also particularly nice to be nominated because I knew there was no way I was going to win because Trevor Nunn had just done Cats. Uh-huh. So it was very relaxing to go to all the parties and everything. There was, except when you're sitting there the night of them, I was sitting right behind the people who wrote the, uh, between the person who uh, produced Torch Song trilogy on Broadway, Mm -hmm. which I had loved, and I was right behind them. We all thought that uh, Marsha Norman would win for Night Mother, so when Torch Song won, it was so exciting, and that was sort of like a big joy for me on that night. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was asked to do that by Houston Grand Opera. I may have already done Carmen for them, I don't, don't remember, I think I had already done Carmen. Uh, and uh, But I had, I had felt very strongly that Julie, the woman who passes, uh, should not be played by a white singer. They were very, very adamant about hiring a soprano because Helen Morgan in the original production was a soprano. And even though many other singers sang, I can't help love that matter, uh, that man of mine. or Still, in a much deeper voice, they wanted the original, original orchestrations. It was like an historic r- r- recreation. They found a lot of numbers in a shoebox in a factory in New Jersey, and we put them in. And that was like a wonderful experience. But I was not going to hire a white actress, I had seen Lena Horne say she didn't, she should have played it instead of Ava Gardner. And that was that. And we saw all these young uh, African-American women and they, they couldn't do it. And probably they were too dark skinned and you know it didn't make any sense. It was really very complicated to somebody who would actually pass as a white person in, in And I knew there was this one actress who had made this movie and was in Chicago, and she never wanted to come in, she never wanted to come in, she never wanted to come in. We were almost at the last day, maybe about three weeks before rehearsal, and finally she came in and she had a much deeper voice. And She started to sing and I thought she looked so perfect. and she had a much deeper voice. Uh, this is going to be the end of it. The, the minute she sang about eight bars, both the music director rushed up to the stage and started transposing the music on the piano. And so she got the job and she, she also got a Tony nomination. And uh, so did the young woman who showed up at an equity cattle call. But she had no New York representation or anything. She showed up at Equity Catapult, and she, Carla Burns, and she played Queenie, and she also got a, a Tony nomination. She died recently. So, uh, but uh, we opened in Houston, and then it toured. And by the time it got to New York, I can't even remember who the Julie and uh, who the Magnolia and the Ravenel were because. They were all opera singers to start with, and they all had other engagements, so they couldn't, after Houston, they didn't know it was going to tour. I do not remember, I think it, actually I do remember we played the Ravenel. And then Donald O'Connor, well, he he was sort of okay, nice, sort of nice man, but we put in a chat number for him so that he but, was, uh, Captain by the time Andy? They... was he it's Captain what... Andy?
0: Huh? I said, was he Captain Andy?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: he was Captain Andy. When it went to, when it went to Egypt, it, it, it traveled. The next year, we revived it because it was invited to Cairo, to, to the new opera house that was just built by the Japanese and Americans. So the Japanese opened it, and the next show was the American show, which was Showboat, and they and, and it was very exciting because there's an Athens, there's a Cairo, there's a, you know, in on the Mississippi, and there's one on the Nile. Uh, so the opening we got there in a bus it was really great. Uh, we got there the opening night were all there were all these guards and these Tommy guns and it was very difficult to get in uh, into the opera house. We all had to have security. And that was because the 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 two guests of honor were the president of Egypt, Mubarak, and his guest, Saddam Hussein.
0: Like,
3: so I think I'm the only American director whose work, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Oh my gosh they didn't come to the cast party <laughs> but but it was fun and the 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 Egyptian fell in love with Carla. she was a little round, wonderful, wonderful tiny singer. They offered her you know to marry her they offered her 40 camels, things like that.
2: Oh my gosh that's crazy <laughs> It was a great. So much better
3: than per diem. Wow! And that was Eddie Bracken. Then Donald didn't come. Wow! But then I really did what I always wanted to do, which was complicated, interesting plays in the regional theater. That's what my life was. Yeah. That's thirty, the Carter and Washington. That's what I did. None of these are all fancy stories. But
2: Great.
0: Well, thank you, Michael. This has been amazing. Thank you for your time.
3: Oh, well, it was fun. I you know, I, so much I don't remember anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so much you've probably blocked out.
3: (laughs) No, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't remember bad things, really.
2: (laughs) Well, good to see you. Anyway,
3: it's nice to see you both.
2: Yeah, good to see you. And uh, we hope to see you sometime around the block, around the hood. It but, would be uh, nice. Yeah, I've come a couple of times. I went, so came
3: down to see friends and a couple of shows, and, and uh, that's what I've done. Well, next but I have been in a around. Way. Let us know. I will. Anyway, good luck with this, with your with your podcast. Yeah, you had it last year, right? We've been going for a couple years now. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. What I thought mm-hmm. And it's called Theater Stories. Well, this season is called Theater. This stories. season is Theater Stories. Okay. And congratulations on your own stuff. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. We're, That's really wonderful. We're just. I see, that, I see. I you put it on Facebook. So I see. Yep. Yeah, okay. okay. So, along. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I, I learned how to zoom. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> okay.
0: Wow. Michael Kahn, thank you so much for spending time with us. We were just off recording, talking about what an incredible legacy you have, the The amount of um, people that you have taught that are now famous superstars. I, I can't even imagine, through the Juilliard program, through Shakespeare, all the people that you've mentored, um, we are so... Uh, happy that you came and spent time with us. I mean,
1: I, I wish I could have done a show where somebody offered me camels, of course, <laughs> right? In s- Camel cigarettes? No, <laughs> actually, Camels. Actual Camels, <laughs> right? And yeah. and like to be in front of Saddam Hussein and uh, Barak, Like, can you imagine that? No. It's and, and doing showboat. Right, and doing showboat of all things, yeah. No, um, yeah, it's
2: incredible. I, I think that his legacy has always been just so rich with so many. We could have talked so much longer uh,
0: and probably got into it with so many other things, but. Yeah, and I've had to hit, hit Google many
2: times. Yeah. Because I don't know all the ins and outs. Yeah. Um, well, he
1: was right in that time of, like, like the Tennessee Williams, like that jazz cap, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was, he was directing Eugene O'Neill. Like, mm-hmm. all of the American... Like, the three top American 20th century playwrights. That's
0: amazing. Well, and what struck me is he had to go to Tennessee to get the rights because this was very pre-internet. This was very, like... You had to make appointments to see people. <laughs> and, like, actually go somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah. like, you know, sit by a pool and wonder what's going on. And yeah. Yeah. and schmooze in person as opposed to... yeah. Digital emails, calls, whatever. It, it, it was
2: an amazing bunch of stories. Thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, Michael may or may not remember this, but you know, uh, we had a very interesting, or uh, I felt like we had an interesting relationship with Signature Theater because um, he was directing. I don't know if he's done more than one, but he did direct Pride in the Falls of Audrey, Audrey Mills. Mill. Yeah. And. and I, at the same time, was either writing or was there for another reason. You
0: wrote underscoring for it. Did I? Yeah.
2: Okay, I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You did. It it was a beautiful Did I? I don't remember. Either for a marketing piece or the play itself. Either way,
2: either way, I remember that we would be in the lobby together and, like, no one was talking to Michael Kahn. Because he he would be walking around and everyone was either too nervous or like I don't know what to say. And I was bartender. And so I would, and I would talk. I to him would, and you would always talk to him. Yeah. go up to Michael. Kahn, like, so, uh, Michael, Mr. Khan, how's it going? And we would have this lovely, lovely, rich conversation about something. Yeah. And then we would leave. And then it happened like three times. Like oh hi Matt. And, we kind of hit off as like, well, no one's talking to us, so um, it was just kind of cool.
1: I wonder if he asked, like Tennessee Williams asked, what was that boy's name? Right. <laughs>
0: no, and no, we... Michael was always great with names. Was he? Okay. Probably because people were not so great with his name. That's probably but true. Michael has always remembered me, and I was tending bar when I was not acting at Signature or whatever, and I would see Michael and talk to Michael during that production, and I was always like, oh my god. That's Michael Kahn. And you're
2: right. I did write the music for the commercial for that play, and then I did not compose the music for the play. Okay, so it was just an ad. It was for the ad, and it sounded like Down Nabby. It was like oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. coming. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well. You, so it was a trailer. You helped. Yes. You yes. helped. I have worked
1: almost <laughs> with Michael with Kahn. Michael Kahn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much. You're such a sweetheart. Thank you for talking to us and spending time with us. We appreciate you. Um, everyone else, uh, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connersmithmusicals.com. You can also find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, all the things. Um, Share this where you share things, post it where you post things, and... Don't I, forget about the Discord. Oh, there is a Discord if you want to add comments. I don't know if people use the Discord anymore, but we'll, we'll put the link in the podcast notes. Um, just crass commercial announcements. We have Find Your Light Act 2 coming out at Metro Stage, uh, the music of Connor and Smith, on September 26th. 26th. Yeah, it was the 25th, we moved it to the 26th. It's Boxing Day, but two, but three months earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, so well, we also are going to have our show, Witch, uh, premiere in Baltimore. Baltimore uh, October 20th, and... What, do you the, have the dates? What's the guy's yeah, name? October 20th to November Ryan 6th. Ryan Haas?
1: Ryan Haas. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to him.
0: Thanks to him. And then also, our Ichabod, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, will be in North Carolina, in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, October 13th to 15th, with perhaps possible extension already brewing. So hey, and
2: we're we're gonna we're gonna get a house in Richmond at Christmas time. Yep. To see Silver Bells. So let us know. Silver
0: Bells, which is regionally premiering in Richmond at Virginia Repertory Theater from Thanksgiving
2: to New Year's Eve. If anyone wants to meet up at Christmas time in Richmond, me and Steve are gonna be there. Let us know, and we will figure something out. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so
0: much, Michael. It's been a great episode. Bye! Bye.